Good morning. It is a privilege to be able to share the word with you this morning, and I firmly believe that there is no better place on the planet to be on a Sunday morning than in the local church. Amen? Amen. We are a blessed people, especially as we think on those who don't have access to a church who holds God and His Word in such high regard. Would you please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't thank the group of people that were out at the old Anvil uh, Day celebration yesterday. Uh, It was terrific. We are grateful for the representation of uh, not only the church, but the gospel. And it was a beautiful day. Thank you. You know who you are. Thank you for being involved in that. Hey, Pastor Dave had uh, mentioned previously about the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow in a previous message and then along with my time in uh, my devotion time in reading the Word and recently in Luke, and it got me thinking about a phrase I had come across. You're about to see it there in verse 62 in chapter 22. It says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. It's found only in Luke. And so this, this phrase is just magnificent. There's so much there as I started thinking about this and Obviously, that's why we'll be looking at it here this morning. And part of the reason is because a look can say a lot without having to say a single word. You know what I mean? A look can say a lot without having to say a single word. Uh, Our family uh, enjoys uh, vacationing in September each year at the Jersey Shore. Many of you know this. We go at the beginning of September because, one, it's cheaper But number two, just because it's quieter and it's just a great time for us to get away. And last year, I think we've been going for about 13, 14 years, but last year in our family vacation, uh, we uh, hit the the Ocean City, New Jersey boardwalk. Many of you are familiar with that. Uh, Coors Brothers ice cream uh, custard that we uh, get every time. And we were eating that. And my wife looked down and she found a $10 bill. And so she grabbed the $10 bill in her kindness and started asking, did anybody lose $10? (laughs) Did anybody lose $10? Did anybody lose $10? And she was getting louder and louder. Now, I would say Pennsylvania is the same, but New Jersey, mm, you start saying that enough, people are going, I could use $10. I know what that looks like. It looks like a $10 bill. That might be mine. And she's still going. Did anybody lose $10? Did anybody? I look at my wife and I said, Missy, stop. You're making a scene. And I got the look. (laughs) Now, husbands, you know what I'm talking about. There's not a husband in here that doesn't know when I say I got the look for my wife. You know. Lasers can melt steel, might even include a death sentence. I'm going to get you later, right? Husbands know this. Children know this. Everyone, to some extent, knows this. Again, a look can say a lot without having to say a word. Our eyes say more than we could ever say with words. Now, if uh, you're in your bulletin this morning, you may recall that each time I've been up here, I've been working through a theme, uh, a mini-series of, of sorts with my sermons. Each one is a meditation on the Lord. First, it was the light 
of the Lord. That is the Shekinah glory or dwelling presence of God as light, as a uh, visible light. And then we examine the loving kindnesses of the Lord. It's plural, the loving kindnesses. It's because this attribute is intentionally plural. There are many from God. Third, we walk through the three laments of the Lord. Three times in scripture, we learn of his lamentations where Jesus wept. And last time, uh, because Pastor Dave's been preaching through the minor prophets, it was a great opportunity for us to look at the land of the Lord, where I, I made the scriptural case for a coming future earthly kingdom of Christ, otherwise known as the millennial kingdom. Well, the fifth message, if you want to say it this way in this series, if you're taking notes this morning, is the look of the Lord, the look of the Lord, which as we shall see this morning is one that Luke describes as infinite love, infinite love. By the way, to finish that, uh, finish up that vacation story, it did not end with that look. Um, In God's providence, we were actually leaving the boardwalk to go to our car and Missy looks down and finds more money. Now, you would think if I were going to make this a really good story, I would say she found $20, or I'd say she found $30. My wife found $40 on the ground after that. Now, yeah, I don't know, we were giving her a real hard time because she took that $10 and she put it in the tip uh, container for Core Brothers, and we were like, that's found money, what are you doing? She's paying it forward, we're like, we want the money, but we were really eating crow after giving her a hard time. By the way, we've been giving her a hard time, and you're welcome to do the same. The whole year, every once in a while, we'll say, did anybody lose $10? <laughs> but when it was $40, I'm not a mystical guy, but God was kind of sending a little message there that, you know, you deserve that look. <laughs> well, this morning, we are in Luke 22, where we will first examine Peter's uh, three denials, then study this one look from our Lord, followed by some more numbers. I have 53 days, and then I want to talk to you about two deaths. But first, we want to read Luke 22 here. If you would uh, uh, take a look here at uh, verses 31 to 34. And I want to say as I read this, this is taking place in the upper room. I think people forget that when they, they hear this, they see this from the Lord. It's taking place still in the upper room. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Peter's insulted by the insinuation. Verse 34, and he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times, till you have denied three times that you know me. So much to think on in Luke 22. For example here, uh, Jesus mentions Satan, but it's not the first time that he appears in this chapter. If you look at verse 3, where Satan entered into Judas, this is really a, uh, a quick theological observation for you, that Judas was possessed by Satan on that day because he was an unbeliever. However, Peter is a believer, and believers cannot be possessed by demons. Harassed, stressed, oppressed, yes, but not possessed. And here, Satan has demanded, and that's a very strong word, he's demanded, it should remind us of Job, Satan has demanded permission from the sovereign one to sift Peter and really the other disciples like 
wheat. Our farmers in here know that this is a violent process. It involves tossing. It involves shaking. It's to see if anything good remains. So it's pretty scary to hear that Satan is demanding permission to do that, and your name is being mentioned. It's also interesting, as Pastor Dave was preaching out of uh, Zechariah last Sunday, Zechariah 13, 7 tells us that this request and the related events are of no surprise to God. In fact, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Listen to these words, Zechariah 13, 7. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. They shall scatter. Now, I must confess here, I like Peter. I like Peter a lot. We can identify with Peter, right? Because he's human. He's truly human. We see Peter in the gospel accounts. We see him false and all. Did you know other than Jesus, his name is the one most mentioned in the gospels? Or that he was married, as evidenced in Luke 4 when Jesus heals his mother-in-law? And personally, I believe it's likely that he had his wife on a number of of these events, a number of his missionary journeys, a number, I shouldn't say really missionary journeys, but his his time in discipleship under Jesus in those three years. After all, James and John took their mother, so it's easy to believe that really maybe he had his wife with him. Another reason I gravitate towards Peter is what I see when I read stories concerning him. There's always the reminder that God uses weak people in mighty ways. Again, as evidenced by the life of uh, Peter, there's nobody like him in all of Scripture. And yet, many of us identify with him. And this brings us to the three denials, his three denials, beginning in verse 54. If you look at verse 54, same chapter, 22. And before I read these verses, take note that they occur before the hours of, uh, between the hours of 1 and 3 a.m. Friday morning. This is the exact same time that Jesus is being tortured and tried. We move from the upper room to the common courtyard area of Annas, that's the former high priest, and Caiaphas, the current high priest. And so Jesus and Peter are both fulfilling prophecy. Jesus, quite obviously, is the sacrificial lamb of God. And Peter here, who's being sifted like wheat by Satan. That brings us to verses 54 to 62, if you'll look with me. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him, this is Jesus, to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing, as, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And here it is. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's not just a a prophetic, but a powerful passage indeed, yes? And Peter's first denial here can be characterized as a plea of ignorance. If you're taking notes this morning, a plea of ignorance. Verse 56 brings us the first accusation, which was made by a young lady stationed at the gate as she says this, this man was with him too. And it's in verse 57 that Peter blurts out his first denial. Woman, I do not know him. The other gospel writers all speak on this account. And they add a few things here. Listen to what else he had said related to this first denial. I do not know what you are talking about. That's Matthew recording that. In John, it says that Peter said, I am not. And Mark, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. These are all pleas of ignorance, a plea of ignorance. We're talking about an intentional ignorance, a willful neglect or a refusal to acknowledge the truth. Do you know how bad this first denial was? How bad this really is? When Peter was asked by Jesus in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Here's what Peter said. Listen to what Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was through Peter's lips that the Holy Spirit given knowledge of Christ was revealed. Yet, woman, I do not know him. He knew. And now he pretends to be ignorant of the fact. I think that's what makes this so shocking is that it came from the head disciple of Christ. There were 12 of them. And they're named four times in the New Testament. Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, Acts 1. And every time you read this list, every time you read it, the first name is always Peter. And the last name, quite obviously, is always Judas. But the first name is always Peter. And he was the leader of the 12. And the group of 12 is then further divided into four groups of three. You may know this. So the first group then, the first three, are Peter, James, and John, because they were the most intimate with the Lord. And Peter's in that inner circle. He's in the top of that leadership. And Peter, talking about being close to the Lord, for example, he was taken to the transfiguration. He was there. And even so, he is still truly human in that courtyard. He is... um, gripped by fear. But that's, his only, that's only his first denial. Peter's second denial here is a bold-faced lie. A bold-faced lie. Check out verse 58, where it states that another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. I am not. Again, the denial is unmistakable. Hear me on this. Peter is denying that he was one of the disciples of Christ. When questioned about who he is, you are one of them too. There's the accusation. He responds with a bold-faced lie. Man, I am not. Have you ever watched a movie, your favorite movie, and you know you watch it more than once, two, three, four. We can go higher, sadly, right? How many times we watch our favorite movies? And 
there are important scenes, whether it's a climax, somebody's going to die, something's going to happen big. And you already know what's going to happen. And you go, ah, they're not going to kill off the lead character. I already know this. But you're watching the movie again, and you're in the midst of that movie. And there's that great buildup. And there's this pause that's there. And what are you doing? You're on the edge of your seat. Because you still think it might happen. Although you know it's not going to happen. That's me reading this account every single time. It's in the white space between the verses. I'm left wondering, will Peter really deny the Lord a second time? No, he's not going to do it. But I know he's going to do it. I know the Lord's word is true. I know Peter is truly human. But I'm in the moment reading that, and I'm on the edge of my seat. Is he really going to do this? A second time, perhaps the first time to save his own skin. But I just couldn't see him doing this again. And here's why. You don't need to turn there, but in John 6, John 6, it reads this. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Uh, a number of the disciples, Jesus is doing these miracles and his, and his teaching, and he drove them away with his teaching. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We, we've believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In essence, he's saying, I'm one of them. I'm a true disciple and I will follow you. Who else am I going to follow? You're the one that has eternal life. But that is not how it plays out, is it? Another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. Sadly, that's a bold-faced lie. And it's a second denial of Christ, the Messiah. And this just builds. We have a plea of ignorance. We have a bold-faced lie. And Peter's third denial is really a change of identity. It's an attempt here at a change of identity. Verse 59, another man began to insist saying, certainly this man also was with him for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. We actually know more about this man who is speaking. We learn from John 18 that the man asking this question is a relative of Malchus. Does that name sound familiar, Malchus? It should, because Peter cut off his ear in Gethsemane. He was going for his head, but he missed and got his ear, and Jesus returned the ear to him, if you remember this. So basically, this relative of Malchus is saying, did I not see you in the garden with Jesus? You're the one who did that to my relative. It's him. I know it's him. Furthermore, in Mark's account, we get another important detail, adding that Peter began to curse and swear. He began to curse and swear. And I, swear. And I, I got to tell you that, uh, honestly, until this week, I, I had always thought this was a reference to reckless profanity. I did. Th th this is not about swearing like a sailor. That's not what Peter was doing. Peter had gone well beyond feigning ignorance and telling a big lie here, and he's pronouncing a curse as well as taking a solemn pledge of truthfulness. He's trying to hide, to change his identity here. I am not the Peter 
from Galilee. Peter does not want to be known as the Peter. He does not want to be seen as that guy. Man, I do not know what you are talking about. I am not that guy from the garden. But even his speech is betraying him. His accent. Every word he's saying, it's him. And now he takes it to the nth degree. If I have to swear on my mother's, sorry, mom. If I am lying, may God strike me dead. Can you imagine Peter saying that in a lie? If I am lying, may God strike me dead. Verse 60, immediately, Mark likes this word straight away. While he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. It is at that exact moment that Jesus is being escorted across the courtyard. He is leaving his so-called hearing before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And it's at that exact moment that we learn of the look. One look from our Lord. Verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Let's just stop for a moment and meditate on what this must have been like. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. On the very last nanosecond of his denials, the rooster crows, and the Lord looks. The Lord's face. He was spit on. He's likely badly bruised from being punched multiple times in the face. And he turned to Peter. And the Lord's eyes connected with Peter's eyes. One look straight into his eyes. Can you imagine? I mean, can you fathom that? It was a look I am certain that Peter never, ever forgot. One commentator wrote, no phrase in the Gospels is more charged with feeling than this. I would agree. The Greek word for looked is one that means to look with interest, to look with love, even concern. It's not a mean look. I know we'd read that into it. Our human nature would read that into it going, oh, it's a mean look. It's parental. It's, it's the look. Maybe it's an I told you so look. No. Or a judging look. Or even an angry look. As, although as Lord of all heaven and earth, he certainly would be in his right to do so. But that one look, a silent look from the Lord is in direct contrast to the menacing stares of the others gathered around the fire. It's a loving and a forgiving look that jolts Peter back, right back to reality. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter remembered the Lord's words about his denials, and it sent him into that godly sorrow we talked about earlier. 
verse 62, he went out and wept bitterly. What would that one look do to you today? In the midst of your sin, what would that one look do to you? Would it convict you of your sin before a holy God? Would it remind you of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the purpose of the Son of God coming to earth to give his life as a ransom for all who would believe? I suspect that one look brought Peter back to a time when he first realized that he was an unworthy sinner. And we can see this. If you turn back just a few chapters to chapter 5, verse 8, since we're in Luke here. Luke 5, verse 8. I'm thinking that Peter was thinking about this moment. I think this brought him back. It says, Peter fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, Peter's the first person to call Jesus Lord in Luke, and it's the first time the word sinner is used in that gospel, and his confession here is an important one, as is the worship. A Christian places their faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. But can you imagine doing this in the presence of Jesus during his incarnation? You know, we are blessed that we live on the other side of the cross. We look back at that historic event. We place our faith in what has happened, where Peter's placing his faith literally who's in front of him and what's going to happen. But Peter is confronted not only with his own sin, but the reality that God is standing before him in the flesh. So in one point here, he's worshiping. He fell down at Jesus' feet. That makes sense. This is God. But on the other side of it, he's saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a, a sinful man, O Lord. And I think we get that. He recognizes his sin in his presence with his actions worshiping and his voice crying to him to leave his, his sinful presence. But it doesn't end there for Peter. For three denials and from three denials and one look, we now move to what is point number three in your bulletins. And that's 53 days. 53 days. Peter's three-time failure in that courtyard did not ultimately define him. His life story did not end in that terrible place. And, and I want you to see that no matter what rebellion, what brokenness, what fear or failure you have, may have experienced, that it does not have to be the end of your life story. It doesn't have to end there. Peter's denial occurred on the Friday morning after uh, the Last Supper. On the Friday morning of Christ's death on the cross. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and Luke in chapter 24, verse 12, tells us that Peter ran to the tomb, looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings and marveled at what had happened. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the next time we read of Peter. It's after those three days, those three days from his denials, that Peter then, he disappears from the scriptures for a while. Until the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. 
which is 50 days later, Pentecost 50. So you have 3 plus 50, 53 days later. And we fast forward 53 days if you would turn to Acts chapter 2. Fifty-three days, and we find Peter in Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 22. It reads, Men of Israel, this is Peter preaching, 53 days later, after those denials. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jump down to verse 36. Here's a polar opposite for Peter. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, far from a denial now. There's a a great change that's taking place in Peter's life in just 53 days. Wow. What happened to Peter after the look? It's a A metamorphosis that I'd I'd like to briefly share with you is four contrasts. Peter's life was not over in the courtyard, far from it. There is encouragement to be found between these two events. Peter's denial and sermon on the day of Pentecost. And that is because we live our lives somewhere between these contrasts. Depending who you are and your walk with the Lord, you're somewhere between those. As we briefly look at these, realize that you and I have been on a similar journey. As we look at these contrasts, the first one being... Rebellion and repentance, from rebellion to repentance, rebellion and repentance. Rebellion is an open resistance from the eating of the fruit in the Garden of Eden to our behavior today. We all have a rebellious nature. Just listen to a few of these words. These stances taken from Peter prior to his denying Christ are recorded again by uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. Here's Peter's words. Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Or, I am ready to go with you even to prison and to death. And even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. These are strong words. But sadly, our own words and deeds can renounce a former allegiance. Yes, Peter was proud, definitely proud. But thankfully, and by God's grace, he's also repentant. Again, look at Luke twenty-two sixty-two. He went out and wept bitterly. We know that this was the beginning of Peter's repentance. He saw his sin for what it was, rebellion against a holy God. When Peter denied Christ three times, it's interesting, he looked at Jesus He was bold enough to look at Jesus. He had just sinned three times. He had denied him. He denied God in the flesh three times. And then he looked at him. He had to be looking at him. Would you want to look at Jesus immediately following your sin? 
Would you be looking for him immediately following your sin? And Jesus was looking at him. There must have been just enough light from the courtyard fire to allow for this divine appointment. Uh, a meeting of the eyes, which placed Peter on the path to repentance. Second here, we see brokenness and boldness. Brokenness and boldness. Peter's 53-day 53 journey, journey continues as he's broken over his sin. Verse 62 doesn't just say he went out and wept. That would be powerful enough. You could end it there. But he says he went out and wept bitterly. This was deep. This was to the core. Peter literally came face to face with the truth of Jesus' prediction and the weakness of his own flesh. Brokenness over sin, it's one of the most important elements of saving faith. It's a Holy Spirit heartfelt conviction that we have offended God by our own sin. And it is this godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Now, Judas had a, a worldly sorrow. He was sorry he got caught. And it ultimately led him on the path to death. The sorrow of the world produces death. 2 Corinthians continues with that. But it was Peter's broken spirit and his contrite heart that motivated him to change course, to uh, return to God. One Puritan famously said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. 1 John 1, 9 states that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we cling to that boldly just as Peter did. Now, if anyone else had told me that, if a person had told me that, eh, but it's the word of God that grants me that forgiveness by placing my faith in him. And Peter had the living word of God in whom we have, Ephesians 3.12, boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That brings us to number three, fear and faith. Fear and faith. Before we go too far in our shock and awe of Peter's denials, let us be sure to acknowledge that in that courtyard, he was scared. Peter's really scared. Fear would be an understatement. All his peeps had fled the scene. They're all gone. It was only Peter that had still followed Jesus after his arrest. Now, yes, yes, I know. He kept his distance so as not to be identified with him. But it's certainly understandable how fear would have gripped him. From the courtyard, he, he probably watched Jesus being falsely accused, likely saw him beaten and insulted. Peter would have been afraid that Jesus would die. And he was probably fearful for his own life as well. But it's through this fear that Christ allowed these events to break Peter and to, re to rebuild him as a man of faith. In essence, to start over. Even Satan needed permission to play. And the look of the Lord was all that was needed to turn Peter in 53 days to an ambassador of Christ, an apostle. Brother, sister, 
in Christ, know that your fear is not your final resting place. It is one of faith. Peter is a great example for us that. Larry read for us this morning Peter's first letter, from his first letter. These are his written words many years later from the event that we've just read. Cast all your anxiety, your fear. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What a beautiful statement. Stand firm in the faith. He himself will restore you and make you strong, steadfast. And that's exactly what Jesus did to Peter after the resurrection. Our last passage this morning, would you turn to John 21? John 21. And number four here is failure and forgiveness. John 21. Failure and forgiveness. Peter had failed to believe the Lord's warning promise. But in God's grace, he restores Peter in a beautiful way. This passage is just that. It's Peter's restoration. Some call it his recommissioning. There is forgiveness found in Christ alone. Beginning in verse 12, John 21, verse 12. Jesus, after his resurrection, he meets the disciples in Galilee and they have breakfast together. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was from the Lord? It was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? These, Jesus is referring to basically fishing implements. They were sitting on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can imagine how Peter, with his past failure of his three denials, how he had felt. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Jesus had actually used the word Peter used. The Lord says, do you love me with basically the highest and noblest kind of love? And Peter says with a different word, I have affection for you. Peter was so ashamed of his past that he didn't think he could claim more than that. I have, I have affection for you. And now the Lord gives, gives him back his own word. Do you actually have affection for me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. The Lord graciously gave Peter an opportunity to confess his love for every time he denied Christ. Three times. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. 
Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And that Peter did. He did that along with his wife. They spent the last three decades of their lives serving the Lord and anticipating their martyrdom. And church tradition speaks of these two deaths. These two deaths. As a matter of fact, secular records speak of their two deaths. Both Peter and his wife were sentenced to be crucified due to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And his wife had to be crucified first. And we are told that Peter knelt at the foot. He knelt at the ground of his wife's cross and uttered these words to her. Remember Jesus. Remember Christ. Husbands, can you fathom? Remember him. And then it was Peter's turn, as prophesied, to be crucified. And he said, you know this, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. And they crucified him upside down. Upside down. What a a transformation of this man and his wife. All from the look of the Lord. All from one look. Do not let your rebellion, your, your fear, your failures claim your identity. That is not your identity, believer. If you have placed your faith in Christ alone, your identity is in him. It's in him. That is where repentance and forgiveness and and faith can be found. And the boldness that this beautiful couple had, it can be ours as well. For his glory, honor, and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we think of the events surrounding our Lord's death and resurrection, including these um, three denials of Peter, we are convicted to the core over our own sin. At least we should be. Thank you for imperfect people other than the Lord in Scripture. And we are thankful for the grace and and the mercy that is found in Christ alone, as we're going to sing here in a moment, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And it is our prayer this morning, if there's anyone in here that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be that day. And for those who claim Christ, may this day be a part of that journey where we find the boldness to to walk through our shame with repentance and forgiveness and faith. Father, we, we thank you for this time this morning. This is your church, and we are your people. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.